And so you can sign up to be involved with it. And so there's going to be four sections of it, four like teams within it. There's inreach, outreach, focus, and operations. So inreach is uh, like facilitating communities, stuff like that. Outreach is kind of reaching outside of our church to the broader Denton community. Focus is the, a student organization uh, that we partner with, so that would be like supporting them, doing things with them. And operations is a lot of like logistical, you know, getting the sound here, stuff like that. Um, so we'll pass this around, and you can sign up for things. Josh wanted me to mention that we ran out of coffee, but we also made an extra batch. So if you would want more coffee, but you think we're out, know that we're not out. There's more coffee. Um, and other than that, I'll pray for the offering, and then we'll pass it. God, thank you for gathering us here this morning. Thank you for the opportunity to contribute financially, and uh, pray that you'll work in our hearts as we do that, and that you'll use this money for your purposes. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Ah, great. Hi. Um, my name is Miriam. For those of you who don't know me, I think most of you do, probably. We've had some conversation or interaction. Um, I worked for Focus for a couple of years and then have been part of the Denton North Church for as long as it has been in Denton. Um, so Leslie asked me to preach about ministry. And when she did, I had a pretty similar reaction to Kurt. What do you say to people who are already doing a lot of ministry? And you guys do it really well. But we're reading this article together, and one of the first things, the introduction to ministry, it caught my attention. It says, all of the disciples of Jesus are called to ministry. Yes. Ministry is not, first of all, something you do. Oh. Although it calls you to do many things. Ministry is something that you have to trust. And if you know you're the beloved, which references back to Leslie's sermon on solitude, and if you keep on forgiving those with whom you form community and celebrate gifts, Kurt's sermon, you cannot do other than minister. My sermon. So that got me thinking about my understanding of ministry. And as I thought back over my life so far, it's changed a number of times. Some of it comes down to semantics, but regardless, that had an impact on my life and how I did ministry and how I received ministry. So I'm going to share with you my journey uh, in my understanding of ministry and then some of the key things that resonated with me from the article that we've been basing these sermons on. So my background, I grew up in a Christian household where we were really involved in our church. And my very first understanding that, of ministry was that it was something adults did and they did it and they got paid money for it. And it was a job. You could be a missionary or a full-time pastor but it was a job. The things that my family did, like hosting a small group Bible study or volunteering on, in Sunday school, were just things that we did because we were Christians or good members of this church. Ministry was something special that you were called to and then dedicated your whole life to, not just Sunday mornings and Wednesday nights. And that idea of ministry as a job held pretty much throughout my first few years of college. I was minimally involved with the student ministry at Midland College. Go Taps. <laughs> um, the paid ministers there, they did the really hard, deep things um, while the students engaged in pizza parties and a weekly Bible study and being challenged to talk to our classmates about Jesus. I don't know how many of us actually did it. The ministers talked about receiving a calling they couldn't ignore, and that's how they ended up in ministry. The Christians, 
had grown up in the Bible Belt, and that's how they ended up Christians. For most of us, there was no specific calling to Christianity. It was just what our families did. When I transferred to UNT, I got involved in focus, and my whole understanding of ministry was blown out of the water. It seemed no one was being paid, and everyone was doing the work of ministry. If people didn't see each other just once a week when their core met or when focus met, they were friends and they saw each other outside of those times. They weren't just laughing it up and talking about fun things, although that happened a lot. Um, they were getting really deep and asking probing questions, questions that made me have to think about what I believed and how I was going to live in light of that. People's problems weren't handled alone and in the dark. All of a sudden, people were calling me in crisis wanting to share in hard times. This challenged my personal aversion to vulnerability and allowing others to see my pain and my struggles and my fears. That was wildly different from what I grew up experiencing as a Christian. Ministry shifted from this thing that was specifically, you were called to it, you got a paycheck, and expanded into this thing where this is actually what we do as Christians. We are called to ministry as disciples. And that's what I've landed on as far as what ministry is, but how it's looked practically has continued to change. My last year in university, God started opening up doors with inter international students, and that opened up my understanding again. I got to interact with people from all over the world who had no idea who Jesus was. One girl asked me, I've heard the name Jesus a lot since I've been in Texas. Is he a famous star? And I was like, hmm, kind of. Um, there were a lot of people who their only understanding of Jesus was from movies or TV shows. And when we think about that, that's a major yikes. Some of the girls that I met with, they were interested in Jesus, but to follow him meant potentially and most likely being rejected by their families. And not in a Mom doesn't approve of what I'm involved in at university, so we just don't talk about it at Thanksgiving. But in a, my family will cut me off completely, and I won't get to see them again. Or, my family might kill me because of this. Those were things that I had never encountered before. And who was I to call someone to a relationship that would completely destroy all of their other relationships? There's a lie around Christianity that with God on your side, everything's going to be great and easy. And that is exactly opposite of what I was calling these students to. So ministry changed again from something really fun and fulfilling to something that I had to weigh what I believed and decide whether I believed it enough to call someone else into danger and into an entire life change. So I decided I did. <laughs> And then I spent a year in full-time paid ministry with international students and then went on to four years with full-time paid ministry with you guys. I didn't feel a call to ministry so strong that I couldn't ignore it. Um, I felt like doors were opening up and this was a great time of life to spend engaging in ministry with people that I really loved and maybe I was called. I really like working with people. And I love the Lord. And the way things were opening up, it seemed important to give it a chance. So we're going to pause there on my personal ministry timeline. And we're going to get into the points for the sermon. 
my points are keywords from the article that really resonated with me. There's three of them. They are surrender, gratitude, and compassion. In those five years of my full-time ministry were where these three words were most practically lived out and where my ministry perspective shifted again. Yeah. I almost say them several times. Gratitude, surrender, and compassion. But surrender's the first one. Sorry. So, surrender, the first one. It's the hardest for me. Um, if you remember the quote that I read from the beginning, ministry is not something that you do but something you trust. If you know you are the beloved, you cannot do other than minister. During Leslie's sermon about solitude, she defined it as being with God and God alone, letting him tell you that you are loved without a shadow of a doubt. It's about believing we need him every hour. She asked, are you leaving space for that in your life? I was not. <laughs> and I still have a really hard time doing that. It is much easier for me to be busy doing ministry and to believe the lie that I can earn God and people's favor by doing enough stuff for him. It is really hard for me to believe that just me without doing anything is enough. My childhood belief of ministry as a job, coupled with the unspoken family motto of you must be the best in everything you do, put a pretty weird skew on how I actually did ministry as a job. Um, I'd been super involved with ministry and done a lot of things my last two years of college, but now it was my, my job. They were my employers. People were paying me to do this. I felt like I had to do more and more and give more. And I dealt with a lot of anxiety and stress really unnecessarily because I was scrabbling to do enough, to be available enough, to be wise enough, encouraging enough, whatever. But it was all in my own strength. That was really damaging to me in my years of full-time ministry. Um, and I wasn't able to rest in the fact that God was already doing great things without me. And I was just invited along for the ride. I felt this huge sense of responsibility how many of you guys actually read the article that Leslie posted? Tyrus, Nicole. All right, great. Hey, you guys, proud of you. Um, <laughs> so for the rest of you guys, I'm going to read you one of the stories that's in it. It's pretty cheeseball, but it has strong imagery that spoke to my stubborn heart about wanting to do it on my own. You guys can close your eyes if you want to imagine. You don't have to do what you want. Um, there was once a little river. The little river said, I can become a big river. It worked hard, but there was a big rock. The river said, I'm going to get around this rock. The little river pushed and pushed, and since it had a lot of strength, it got itself around the rock. Soon the river faced a big wall and carved a way through. The growing river said, I can do it. I can push it. I'm not going to let anything get in my way. Then there was a huge forest. The river said, I'll go ahead anyway and just force these trees down. And the river did. The river, now powerful, stood on the edge of an enormous desert with the sun beating down. The river said, I'm going to go through this desert. But the hot sand soon began to soak up the whole river. The river said, oh no, I am going to do it. I am going to get myself through this desert. But the river soon drained into the sand until it was only a small puddle of mud. 
Then the river heard a voice from above. Just surrender. Let me lift you up. Let me take you over. The river said, here I am. The sun then lifted the river and made the river into a huge cloud. He carried the river right over the desert and let the rain, the cloud rain down and make the fields far away fruitful and rich. There's a moment in our lives when we stand before the desert and want to do it ourselves. But there's a voice that calls, let go, surrender, I will make you fruitful. Yes, trust me, give yourself to me. What counts in your life and mine is not success, but fruits. The fruit of your life, you might not get to see for yourself. The fruits of your life are born often in your pain and in your vulnerability and your losses. The fruit of your life can only come after the plow has carved through your land. God wants you to be fruitful. We have a lot of really talented, highly capable people in this room. There is a lot that you can do on your own to create fruit. But God is not a slave driver. He doesn't just care about the results. He cares about you. Because you are his beloved. John 15, 5 says, I am the vine and you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you'll bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. God doesn't need you to do ministry. That's good news. He is going to do what he is going to do, and we get to be part of it, and it's not dependent on you. That's great news. So that shifted my idea of ministry again. I can get caught up in trying to live for these unrealistic expectations or even false expectations that I think someone has for me when that's not the case. And I don't think I'm alone in that. So here are God's expectations for me and for you regarding ministry. John, I love you, not based on what you can do for me, but just because you're my child. Be with me. Surrender to me, and I will work through you if you just follow along. So a couple of prompts to help you think more about surrender in your life. I'm going to post all of these on Facebook so you don't have to worry about writing all of them down really fast. But I would encourage you to go back and look at them. Um, who told you that you have to do it on your own and be perfect for God to work through your life? What does scripture say about that? Go and find some scripture. Um, here are some to get you started. In Romans 5, 8, it says that he died for us while we were still enemies. Not perfect. In Matthew 11, 28 through 30, it says that he will give us rest. In Psalm 32, 8, he will teach us how to live for him. In Ephesians 3, 20, it says that he is able to do more than we could ask or imagine. It's not based on us. The last thing to ponder on that one is how is your life, how would your life and your ministry be different if you practiced and believed surrender? So the second key word is gratitude. Gratitude is really important because it changes our heart in two ways, towards each other and towards ourselves. When I am not spending time with God in solitude and beginning ministry out of surrender, it is stupidly easy for me to get resentful about it. It's hard. It cuts into my time because it never happens when I'm not busy. 
Um, it demands this emotional toll on my life that sometimes I don't want to give. People are really annoying or they're frustrating and they don't listen. Like ministry can just be really hard. Um, and if you're thinking about it in that way, you're going to get resentful. So without surrender and solitude, ministry becomes about me. Gratitude realigns my heart with who it's actually about, about Jesus first and his people secondly. When I become thankful for getting to walk alongside others in ministry, it becomes less of a hassle, even if it's just a tiny bit less of a hassle. It changes my heart from have-tos, I have to deal with this issue, or I have to be a good example, or I have to spend time with Jesus, to get-tos. I get to build deep relationships with people and walk through them in life. Praise God. Not everyone has support and relationships like that. That's really special. I get to live my life as an example. Praise God that people are seeing my ups and my downs and are being changed because of that. That makes the hard things a tiny bit more bearable sometimes. And I get to spend time with Jesus. Praise God that he thinks I'm lovable. I really like how 2 Corinthians 5, 17 through 21 describes ministry. It says, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old is gone, the new is here. All this from God, who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against them. And he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors, as though God were making his appeal through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. So I want you to think of a time where you've had a pretty major fight with someone that you love. What were some of the emotions that you felt in that? Spin up, be loud. Frustration. All of you guys have had fights, I know it. Being misunderstood, mm -hmm. Being disrespected. Being disrespected. Rejected. Annoyance. Uh-huh. Fear, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um, some of the other ones that I had on here were anger or guilt or hurt, separation, um, and anxiety. Those are crappy feelings. None of those feel good. I want you to think of a time where you were reconciled to someone. What did you feel? Relief. Peace. Joy. Yeah, yeah. Anything else? Great. Um, what about hope or comfort or connection, acceptance? Those are all really good, solid feelings and I think lead us to be whole people. And that is what we get to offer each other in community on a daily basis. Recon reconciliation with Jesus is what we get to offer people that are outside of our community. That is really precious. And it's hard not to be grateful for that when we keep that perspective. 
The other thing that gratitude does is that it changes my heart when harder crappy things happen in my life. Kurt mentioned that community is not easy, that it is the place where the person you least want to live with most often lives, and sometimes you might be that person. We don't get to go through life being the hero, the minister extraordinaire who always has stuff together. If you have that expectation for yourself, you're going to be really disappointed, and other people are going to disappoint you. My first response when hard or bad things happen is to clam up and to put on a front that everything's fine. I get scared that people are going to get tired of walking with me because my life is messy, my family is crazy, and things are too hard, and it's just too much. I can downplay how I'm feeling with phrases like, yeah, it's really hard, but it's okay, it'll be fine, I'm fine. Um, and that's not true gratitude. That's not even trust. That's Pollyanna sunshine and bubbles baloney. <laughs> gratitude doesn't change the fact that it's hard. It changes my heart towards myself and reminds me of true ministry. The article says, can you be grateful for everything that has happened in your life? Not just the good things, but for all the things that brought you to today. It was the pain of the sun that created a family of people known as Christians. That's the mystery of God. I don't have to deal with hard stuff on my own, but I get to walk through it with people who love me. Because of the way that gratitude in ministry shapes my heart towards others, it can remind me that they feel the same way towards myself and that I am not a burden. So a couple of prompts to help you think through gratitude in your life. Are there any areas of resentment in your life? What practical step can I take to start practicing gratitude on a daily basis? So final keyword, compassion. Ministry without compassion is pretty much impossible. If you don't feel compassion towards the people that you're working with, it is really easy for your emotions to turn to frustration. Why can't they get it together? Or pity, poor you, let me help you. Or inadequacy, what could I possibly have to offer them? None of those first two are helpful to anyone because it elevates you and puts you and them in a position of needing you. And guess what? They don't need you. They need Jesus. And the inadequacy one, it strips you of the power of God and of what we get to offer them, reconciliation with Jesus. One of the most incredible things that I've experienced is how God has used my life experiences, particularly the hard ones, to develop compassion for others. When I was deciding to do full-time ministry, I received a lot of pushback from one particular member of my family um, who would say really hurtful things to me and about me and tried to do whatever she could to prevent me from reaching my fundraising goals, which would have had, you know, pretty big impact. And that was about three to five, three of the five years of my ministry. But because of that experience, I understood just a fraction of what my international students might have to face if they became Christians. That sucked, but it helped me to understand better. 
Um, I also experienced others' compassion developed out of their own heartache when my mom's cancer was at its peak um, and loss seemed really imminent. That super sucks. <laughs> I hate crying and preaching, but it always happens. Um, you know, I couldn't understand what I was feeling in those times, but there are so many of you who came and were with me during that time. You just loved and ministered some of you because you felt those same things. There are so many people who have dealt with hard stuff in here and are using it to live compassionately and like Jesus. It's so sweet. Um, but just because you don't have similar experiences doesn't mean you can't minister to someone. Compassion is still where we have to start. So my job right now, I work for Southlake. For those of you who watch Parks and Rec, I work for Eagleton. For those of you who don't know what Parks and Rec is, you just need to know that Southlake is listed as the fifth most affluent city in the United States by MSN.com. So if compassion has to begin with experiencing similar things, I'm done for there. Like <laughs> We're just out. Um, and sometimes I get really frustrated with those people because of how entitled or selfish or petty their problems can seem. I know that they need Jesus, but it is so hard for me to feel like I have anything to offer. And that article hits, um, hits it on the head when it says, to minister, you have to be where the pain is. Sometimes pain is hidden in a person who from the outside might look painless or successful. Anybody have a tissue? I'm going to keep sniffling. Um, as I have built, Reagan's on it, babe. Um, as I've built relationships with residents and coworkers, um, God has built compassion in my heart. I've started seeing pieces of their life. They have family issues. They have stress and anxiety. Um, they have heartache. They're just normal people who happen to have a whole lot of money. Um, they need Jesus, just like anyone else. And I do have something to offer in that case. So a prompt to help you think about compassion. Who or what situations do I feel frustration, pity, or inadequacy towards in my life? Spend some time praying about those things um, and ask God to develop a heart of compassion in you. You know, I've been out of ministry for, full-time ministry for a year now. The Lord is currently reshaping my understanding of what that looks like now. Austin and I are working out, figuring out how to lead a small group together, coming from very different perspectives and understandings of how to do that well. We're starting to lead um, Guide to Decide couples, which is super fun. All of that is ministry, and it is very different than what I've done before. And I am sure that it will change again whenever we have kids one day in the future. Not right now. Um, <laughs> ministry is a dynamic concept. How it's played out can change over the years and in different situations. But the heart of it is leading people to reconciliation with Jesus. That doesn't change. Most of these mindsets that I had were not bad or wrong. They were just examples of different stages of growth 
in my relationship with God and in my understanding as a disciple. We are called to grow and mature. So I'd encourage you to take some time this week to look back at your own ministry timeline. Be encouraged by the ways that God has changed you and shaped you and changed your mind, the people that you've gotten to work with. Pray about where he's wanting to take you next, what the next level is to the depth of your relationship and your calling. If you can't see any changes, pray about that. Ask him what the first step might be. Remember that you are his beloved and he will meet you where you're at. So we're going to take communion together here in a second. If this is your first time, there's going to be a couple of these people at the back with bread and juice. You go, there's not really a line. You can kind of just merge and go in, um, take the bread, dip it, eat it together. Um, So I'm going to say a prayer for us before we do that. But before you actually go, I want you to pause, turn to a neighbor, and just share one of your big takeaways and how you think God might want you to apply this message, and then pray for each other. It doesn't have to be anything super long, but this is an opportunity for you guys to practice and encourage ministry together. And that's what we are. We're a community that does ministry together. So I'm going to pray for us, and then we'll go do that, and then that. Um, God, you're just really good. I thank you for the chance to come and to share and to speak hope and courage into this community that loves you and is trying to do ministry really well. I pray that you would remind us of these three things and that we would take the time to practice them, that you would shape our hearts to look more and more like you, um, that you would just really be glorified in it. We love you a lot. We ask these things in your name. Amen. Thanks for joining us for our sermon podcast. We would love for you to join us on Sunday morning or in one of our small groups during the week. And you can get more information about that at DentonNorthChurch.com.